In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask your blessing on our efforts today again, as we should always when we begin to pray. Help us to open our minds and our hearts, first of all, to what it is that you want us to hear and what you want to transmit to us. Give us the strength and the grace, really, to set aside preconceived notions and just go with the flow, so to speak, uh, as you work through us and in us. So we thank you for this time together, and we thank you and praise you in all things, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as you've perhaps had a chance to read this, um, I'm going to make some changes. After last week, a couple of people approached me and said, why do we have to uh, study all this nitty-gritty that doesn't really pertain to us, you know, and as you probably recall, even when I was reading some of it, I had to chuckle because it, uh, it really was almost funny when we think about the same situations in today's uh, society and uh, modern ideas and concepts. So what I'm going to do is not put down anything that's in the book of Deuteronomy because it was important to the people at the time. And what happens when you spend too much time trying to figure out or trying to make sense of the details, you lose the message that is there. It is more important to understand why the book of Deuteronomy was written and to whom it was written and for what purpose it was written uh, than it is to understand some of the details. And that purpose was what? The Deuteronomists were trying to combat the evils that were uh, being promoted by the leaders, the king and uh, the major leaders of the uh, kingdom of Israel during the ninth and the eighth century. They were worshiping false gods. They were uh, intermarrying with people outside of the Jewish nation, they were doing a number of things where that was profaning the teachings of Moses. And that is why these speeches were written in the voice of Moses to try to get the people to understand <clears throat> the importance of what they were doing and what they should be doing. <clears throat> I feel that we have the same situation going on today. So what I'd like to do is take somewhat the same approach, but talk about things today that are indicative of our faith uh, and customs and traditions as Catholics. So with your permission, and I think that you'll find this a little more interesting, uh, let's look at some of the things that we should be observing and do we observe them? Do we really take it important? Uh, and I want to start out with your relationship with Christ. 
the Son of God, the Son of Mary. Do you have a relationship, first of all? Is it something that you could discuss with someone else or in order to encourage people to do the same or perhaps strengthen your own relationship? Now, I'm not going to ask for hands, but if you want to volunteer, that's fine. Uh, but one of the most important things that we have to have is to understand who Christ is for us. Not the church, not for the neighbor next door, not even for your relatives, but for yourself. Is he your true God? Does he represent something that is a, a, of a spiritual nature that is so important that you would go out of your way to not offend him? And that is what a relationship is all about. One time a person asked me in a class like this, uh, how far can I go to offend somebody uh, before it becomes a sin? <laughs> and I thought, an offense is an offense, you know, regardless. So I said to that person, as far as you would go to offend your wife, I knew he was married. And of course that shut him up right away because if you really love somebody you're not going to offend him or her. And you're going to go out of your way in most cases. Well, I guess there's our exceptions to all of that. But nevertheless, you're going to go out of your way <clears throat> to not offend somebody and to please that person. <clears throat> but do you, as individuals, and again, I'm not asking for hands or, or identification, but I want each of you to think about it. Is that the way you look at your relationship with Christ? He is your God. If you uh, attended Mass this morning, the Gospel had some strikingly strong in language in it. And Christ said uh, to the apostles and others that were listening, unless you hate your mother and father, uh, you cannot be my disciple. And he went on and on. I'm just abbreviating some of the language. And of course, we all say, well, how could Jesus hate anybody? How could he tell us to hate anybody? You have to remember, exaggeration was very important in the Jewish culture and in particularly in writing because it was the only way that they really had uh, to point out something that was very important. Um, so Jesus wasn't actually saying uh, or meaning hate in the way we think of it today. Right? What he was really saying is putting everything else in its place, proper place, be after him. So that he is first in all considerations. Do you do that? See, that is no different than some of these things that were in the book of Deuteronomy that were important to the people at that time. Anyone want to comment on that? Do you really understand what a relationship is with Christ? Do you talk to him on a daily basis? 
And I don't mean just pray, I mean talk to him. That's important. Because if you didn't talk to your spouse, you wouldn't be married very long. <laughs> yeah, I suppose there are uh, uh, times when that uh, might apply. <laughs> anyways. But, in a long-range basis, a relationship that doesn't communicate falls apart. It is no longer a true relationship. And that is something that we should try to cultivate. So, I would recommend that each of you spend a little time really thinking about your relationship with Christ. And spend a little time each day actually talking to him in your own words. Praying is fine to a point, but it can lose its value if it just becomes words. God is not interested in words, regardless of how nice they might be. He is actually more interested in you as an individual. So, I really recommend that you spend some time each day trying to cultivate and develop your relationship with Christ. Because otherwise, you'll be more like those uh, people back in the ninth century who weren't paying any attention um, to the Deuteronomist. Let's go to another item. How do you see the parish you identify with? Is it a family relationship or just a place to go to on Sunday? Do you go there more often? Do you think about it as a community, a family? That's, you know, got some pros and cons. It depends a lot on the priest. I admit that. I recognize that. But as I've said over and over and over, your faith cannot depend on a priest, regardless of how good or bad he might be. Your faith has got to be something that is above that. The priest can help, and he can also hurt. But nevertheless, your faith should not depend on father so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Your faith has got to be something separate from that. They can help in many ways, but they can also hinder. But the thing is, a relationship has to be something that you recognize and you are actively part of. And so if your parish whether it be St. Clair or St. Rose or any other, is just something that you go to on Sunday to get your obligation ticket punched. That's not a relationship. To be active in the parish is what makes it a relationship. Do you have a catechism? How many of you actually have a catechism in your house? Well, that's maybe not quite half. 
right? It's, it's something that really, so one like this, or one that's more like this, but it's something important that you should have so that when questions come up in your mind or your conversation with others, or perhaps when you're reading and you come across something that you don't quite understand or doesn't look right, you have a resource to check on it. That's important. That's part of your faith. It shows that you are interested in developing your faith. And yet, how many of us don't have one? Right? It showed that less than half of you, from your hands that were raised, have a catechism in your house. And that's unfortunate, because that means that you have no way to educate yourself or your children or your grandchildren. No, I, I can understand that. But it should be something that would be a stepping stone off into more exploring to get that information. Well, that's what this is for. That's the big one. This is, this is called the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults. And it goes into a great deal more information and uh, explanation on the subjects that are in here. Right? That's more aggressive. I have a little more explanation. Yeah. I saw That's why you need this one. Yeah. Now, it, it's expensive. It costs $25. You might be able to get it cheaper on Amazon, but it's worth it. Is the Bible that I have, because it's a study Bible and all that, a No. No. No, that is a study Bible, and it has a great deal of information in there, but it does not go into the depth that either one of these do. Yeah. So I would strongly recommend, I'll leave these up here if you want to look at them afterwards. Okay. What about the recent scandal, uh, you know, sexual abuse scandal? Has that affected your faith? Has that affected your attendance? More importantly, has that affected your contribution of supporting the church? And I've heard amazing stories, uh, good and bad, in result of that. But what I would like you to do is to rise, raise above that. You've got to, and as we did, I think, uh, a year or so back when we were talking uh, and studying and discussing the Catholic, the history of the Catholic Church, You've got to look at the church separately from the people who run it. The church is an extension of God himself, of Jesus Christ himself. 
The church is divine. It will never go away. A lot of people think the church is going to die because of this or because of that. The church will never die. Christ promised that, that he would be with us through the church until the end of time. Thank God some of the people that run it won't be with us till that time. But nevertheless, that should not affect your love and your faith for the church. And yet, it does. After that scandal first broke and became so public, uh, contributions to the church just dropped off tremendously uh, because people didn't like some of the settlements and I didn't like that either. I thought it was totally something that should not have ever happened, but it did. But again, the church is divine. The people who run it are not. And we have to understand that. They are no different than any of us. Some are weaker, some are stronger. But nevertheless, you have to look at the church as something that is an extension of Jesus Christ himself, apart from those who run it. Your church, your faith, and the way you fulfill the obligations of your faith should not depend on how a given priest or priests uh, operate within the parish. What about confession? Do you go to confession regularly? It is a tremendous help. Remember, there is a great amount of grace given in the confessional. And yet, how many people avoid it? The regulations say that we must go to confession and communion at least once a year, particularly during the Easter time, which is from the first Sunday of Lent to Trinity Sunday. That's about a three, almost four months. So if you can't find time to go in four months, forget it. Uh, but if you haven't been to confession and or communion in a whole year or <clears throat> yeah, more than a year, then you have put yourself outside of the church. You are no longer a member of the Catholic faith in good standing. And that's something people do not really understand. There was a death in my family recently. And like many large families, uh, I run the gamut from having priests and nuns all the way down to real sinners. Uh, but you would think during this time of the funeral, uh, this was my youngest sister, uh, that all of them just went up to communion like they were just little saints. <laughs> I could just, just grit my teeth, you know. How dare they? Because I know even some that were divorced 
and remarry, which is outside of the rules and regulations of our faith. If it's not important to them, then, of course, going to communion only exasperates the whole thing and makes it worse. There are consequences for that kind of thing. And that is the whole message of the book of Deuteronomy. If you don't observe the teachings of God, and in their case, the Deuteronomist case, and the teachings of Moses, then you are putting your outs yourself outside of the faith, and there are consequences. In the case of the Deuteronomist in the ninth and 8th century, the consequences resulted in the entire kingdom of Israel being conquered and wiped out by the Assyrians. That was one way of God's dealing with them. And the same thing happened then to the southern kingdom of Judah oh, 150 years later because they acted the same way. There are consequences of our actions and we have to understand that and accept it if we are going to be true Catholic Christians. So confession is extremely important and it is extremely helpful. I think it's wise to make a, make it a ritual for yourself on a regular basis so that it becomes part of your faith expression. Going to communion, or rather confession, uh, say quarterly, or more often if necessary, but at least two or three times during the year. And don't just try to squeak in at the uh, Easter time. Uh, yes, that would be valid, but it also shows very little interest. Yes? It's my understanding that the, the annual confession has been modified to say if you are in a state of mortal sin. Technically, that's true, but there again, that's skating right on the edge. I'm just saying, that I understand what you're saying, yeah. it's better more often, but it's not absolute as you were indicating. Well, you're right, but I didn't want to bring in that because, you know, it's an, it's, a, it's an excuse. Yes, it's an excuse. Yeah. I mean, you go to a doctor regularly, or you should go to a doctor regularly at least once a year for a checkup, should you not? And as we uh, get more mature, it should probably be more often, particularly to check blood pressure and so forth and so on. Think of confession as the same kind of thing. It helps us in our faith. It gives us grace to help us not repeat some of the faults and failures that we had in the past. On the same tone, communion is absolutely required. Yes, yes. Why would somebody not want to receive communion at least once a year, which seems to me is if you only ate a meal once a year, 
you wouldn't be around very long. Of course, there's people that probably shouldn't, but you know, that's another subject. Okay, but look at it in the same way. Uh, yeah, we we kind of joke about it and laugh a little bit, but it's important if you didn't eat a meal more than once a year, you wouldn't be around at all. And the consequences of that is, you know, slow starvation. But the consequences of not going to confession and communion more often is the same thing in a spiritual sense. It is spiritual starvation. And we should pay more attention to that. This is what the Deuteronomists are really saying in their book according to their traditions and their teachings. There are consequences for not doing what Moses and God through Moses had taught the people to do. And yet so many of them didn't. And the consequences were that the entire nation was wiped out. We don't know exactly what happened to them. We know that the majority of them were carted off to Assyria, never to be heard from or seen again. The Deuteronomy, uh, the, uh, in the southern kingdom, the Babylonians conquered uh, the Jewish people in 587 B.C. and took the majority of them off to Babylon. Not in a slave sense as we think of it, but as indentured servants. And they were permitted to come home uh, within about 50 years. Uh, if you read the second part of the book of Isaiah, there are a number of prophecies by Isaiah and proclamations made by Isaiah that really referred to the return of the remnant as it was referred to uh, and also Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, how many of you remember hearing uh, a reading from the book of Ezekiel talking about God opening the graves of the people? I often wonder if people really understand what that is. It says, uh, I will open your graves and have you rise from them, etc. and so forth. He's not really talking about burial graves. He's talking about their captivity in Babylon as being a grave. And that opening that up, uh, which he did through the good graces of Cyrus the Great, uh, beginning in 539 B.C., that was the return of the Jewish people from Babylon to Israel. Not all of them returned because they were very well ensconced in uh, Babylon and decided they were going to stay there, which was uh, permitted. Uh, but <coughs> Cyrus the Great encouraged uh, those who wanted to return to do so and he assisted them with uh, the help of Nehemiah and the priest Ezra. Next week, I want to get into a little bit more about Ezra and his um, contribution 
not only to the book of Deuteronomy, but to the people uh, of Judah during their captivity. And so there was a paper given out here some time ago, um, and I would like you to dig that out and read it so that we can talk about it next week. All right. But are you beginning to see the point I'm making and how the Deuteronomists were trying to get the people to wake up and return to the uh, Jewish faith that they had in the past? It was important to them and our faith should be important to us today. We shouldn't leave here without some resolution within our own mind and heart to at least spend a little more time thinking about our faith. It shouldn't be just something that we do on Sunday because it's a nice thing to do and uh, belonging to uh, St. Clair Parish or St. Rose or whatever uh, is a nice thing to say we, you know, we belong to that parish. But are we truly active in that parish? Are we truly contributing something of value to it? Or are we just members on the registration form only? Yes, Betty? Very good point. Yes, for those who may not have heard it, what Betty is saying is in your home, and in your lifestyle, is there something that is evidence without you having to broadcast it? Is there something of evidence that says that you are a Catholic Christian? In your home, are there uh, crucifixes prominently displayed? I don't mean all over the place because I don't like that myself. But I have one in each room that are more decorative uh, without screaming out uh, at a visitor that I am a Catholic. Um, but take, for example, uh, Alice and I live at Misty Wood here, the uh, independent retirement community, and we have our meals in a common dining room, and we both say uh, the prayer before and after meals. By blessing ourselves, the people around us know that we are Catholics, and we have no uh, problems in doing that. We don't make a big issue out of it, uh, and if anyone says anything, we'll respond as politely as we can, but no one has ever, to my knowledge, have you ever had any problems? No. Yeah. Well, that's right. I sit generally most of the time with the same people, and they are Christians also, not Catholic, but they are Christians, and they honor me, and they'll stop when they say, see that I'm praying uh, for a moment, and they will not join in, but they'll at least be silent for a minute. Yeah, Justin? Just like, uh, how, how do we handle Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons? 
Very politely. Exactly. Very. I asked them for a glass of water, and then when they, when they opened the door, that's a prayer room. Uh huh. They see the statues and the Bible and the Blessed Mother. They said, "Thank you very much, but you have to <laughs> Yes, yes, I, I, I've had that experience. I had a couple of young fellows, you know, on bicycles, black. Uh, pants, uh, white shirt, and black tie from the um, the uh, yeah Latter Day Saints, the Mormons, and they wanted to come in, and I thought, oh boy, <laughs> I'm going to have them come in, and so they started, you know, as if they 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 asked if they were we were Mormons, and I said no. And I just let it go at that, you know. So then they started proceeding to tell me about the Bible. And I thought, oh, okay. All right. And so I let them have a little bit of wine, you know, before I start reeling it in. <laughs> By the time they left, they were squirming, you know. No, I, tried, I tried to be polite about it, but they found out I knew more than they did about the Bible. Yeah. But, you know, to answer your question, Justin, you treat those people with respect because at least they're doing something. It may not be what we, what we would agree with, but they're doing something. Could she do? No, I wanted to say something similar to what you just said. Um, the fact that they are ready to help you That's that's right. We hide from each other, much less from other people. Yep. So I, you know, I, I find uh, that 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 is beliefs, it's better that they have some beliefs than none, all right? So I think that is a proper way to look at it. Yes, Julie? I have, earlier in this year, I put all my Catholic charms on a charm bracelet, and it blows my mind how many Catholics and non-Catholics come up and are willing to discuss Catholicism and talk freely about it and it's so enlightening well that's that's good and that's the way it should be i don't think you should have to scream out at people you know or broadcast uh, i'm a catholic but you should not be no, hiding it either this. yeah right, i just wear this and people come up to yeah. me i used to wear a ring that's a little too big for me now that i lost some weight but uh it had a cross on it very small hardly able to see, and, and the doves representing the Holy Spirit. And I had a lot of people ask me about that. Yeah. And uh, I was very pleased that they asked and happy to, you know, answer any question that they had. So these are the kinds of things. Yes, Gene? I have in my wallet a 
Uh huh. Yeah, I have one in my car like that. Yeah. Well, those, you know, all of those are good things. But the personal relationship with Christ is the most important. Uh, how about, what about uh, the true presence of Jesus? in the Eucharist. How many of you really understand and accept that or believe it? Okay. How many of you don't believe it? Uh, I didn't see any hands, but I bet there <laughs> I bet there's a few. Okay. It's not that you don't believe it. It's hard to feel the presence. Well to some degree, maybe. But if you read the Bible, particularly uh, the chapter 6 of the Gospel of John, and also all of the other evangelists and St. Paul, all talk about how the Eucharist is the true body and blood of Christ through the miracle of the transubstantiation that comes to us from the Mass and the priest who represents Christ offering the Mass. So it is something that is a very essence of our Catholic faith. And that is something that we must believe. If we don't, believe it, and we go to communion, then what are you doing except just going through the formality? At the last supper, he said, this is my body, my blood. Yes. Very clear. Yes, and in the teachings it says, uh, later on, it says, uh, and the bread is truly my body, or truly my flesh, and the Wine is truly my blood. All right. So there is no doubt there. And uh, Vito, that book that you gave me from Matthew Kelly, anyone else have a copy of the the one by Alan Hunt? Yeah. It's uh, it goes through a great deal of explanation how a Methodist minister who was a very prominent minister and active in his church for over 20 years, finally was confronted with that statement about the bread being truly the blood of the body of Christ and the blood being truly his blood, and started to, to investigate and checked into it and eventually became a Catholic and renounced his position as a pastor in a minister church. Yeah, Methodist church, excuse me. Yes. I find it one of the great miracles and mysteries of the first century that they came to that understanding so early and it had to be the only way was because of God enlightening them yes. uh, through Paul, mm -hmm. primarily, I think. And, you know, if that's 
that's hard for people to understand today, and yet it spread so rapidly. Yeah. In yeah, the first yeah. century. In the first. What's that? Well, it, it is. It is mystery, but it's something that if we truly have a faith, our faith in Christ, we can accept without having to have a lot of explanation, because there is no other explanation. You can believe and wonder, I guess, how. Well, ask God to open your mind and heart to understand and accept it. Yes. I have heard that in the past, some consecrated host has had DNA analysis and it actually is Right here. Right here. There's a whole article on that very subject. The true presence of Christ in the sacrament of communion. Okay? Or the Eucharist. I prefer to call it the Eucharist, which is Greek and Latin sort of combination, meaning thank you, a thanks, an offering of thanksgiving. That's what a Mass is. All our Masses are offerings of thanksgiving. But here's an article where it talks about not just one, but many, many cases of where there has been doubt uh, and priests, when they break the large host at the time of the consecration and the communion, uh, no, this is good. Um, doesn't fall again. Actually, blood comes out of the host itself, and that blood has been examined many, many, many times and found to be human tissue, human blood uh, from the heart. Yeah. And this article, if you want, anybody wants to come up and read it afterwards, but please don't take it, uh, is on that very subject. Well, this is in uh, the National Catholic Register of July 2016. Yeah. And if you call them, you can probably get a copy of that. Yeah. Very important. Uh, I also have a rather detailed analysis of the crowd of uh, the Shroud of Turin, which is uh, which is the wrappings that Christ was wrapped with after he was taken down from the cross and placed in the tomb for three days. Um, they have examined it in many, many ways. Many people have uh, been very skeptical about it, but it is something that has been proven to be 2,000 years old, and the blood on it, even though dried for that length of time, uh, still shows a DNA of being human blood. Right. Uh, so there are a number of things. I've been to the chapel in the little church called the Church of the Holy Stairs in Rome, 
where the chapel in the back has the part of the true cross, you know, very little bit left of it. Uh, the the uh, cross, or part of the cross of the good thief, the crown of thorns, some of the nails of Christ. It's interesting that the last time I've been, I've been there several times because I used to live in Italy. Uh, the last time I was there, I took my three grandchildren and they were taking pictures of everything and anything before and after. But while we were in this chapel, I suggested that they take some pictures of these important uh, relics and artifacts. It was interesting when they got their pictures developed. This was years ago, 15, 16 years ago, uh, before the smartphones. So this was camera with film in it. When they got the film deliver, uh, developed and printed, etc., all the pictures they took before we went into that chapel came out beautifully. All the pictures they took after we came out of the chapel came out beautifully. All the pictures they took in the chapel came out blank. And there's no, there's no explanation. So something was active in that chapel. So, any more, anything else that you would like to bring up along these lines about your faith? Yes, Alice. Uh, I'll try to repeat what Alice said. Out of the, uh, which magazine was that? Sunday Visitor, yes, uh, newspaper. Uh, the Sunday Visitor, which is a Catholic newspaper, uh, out of the survey of Catholics, not Protestants, but Catholics, only 37% of them believe that the Eucharist is the true body and blood of Christ. And that is sad, really sad, um, because it means that many Catholics are Catholic in name only. And that, again, has consequences. There are several little stories in the Gospels. <clears throat> and I always think of the one, you know, the story of the uh, bridesmaids, you know, the five wise, uh, wise and the five unwise. Uh, <clears throat> and they all have their torches and then the bridegroom is delayed. Uh, but when he finally ar arrives late at night, uh, those with the torches uh, can go in, but those who didn't have torches uh, had to go and get some uh, oil to relight them. When they came back, uh, of course, the door was locked, and they tried to get in, and uh, the Lord says to them, uh, I don't know you. The whole idea is a lack of preparation a lack of really belonging to the faith more than just a name on a registration 
form. It's important that we actually seek to develop our faith because if we don't, then particularly those who were educated in uh, Catholic schools, elementary and, and high school, uh, and college too, if necessary, uh, for those people who were educated in Catholic schools and don't follow their faith, they will have greater consequences to answer. And that is frightening in a way. Because if we, when we die, though we have sort of been a good person, quote unquote, but didn't follow the rules that we profess to follow, then there's going to be consequences. And I don't necessarily mean condemnation, but consequences that could be frightening. And to go and <clears throat> be judged when we die and see the face of God and then be told, uh, pardon the expression, to go to hell, um, never to see that divine face again, that is what creates the fire in our bellies because we know that through our own lack of effort we are now subject forever to never see the face of God. And how tragic that is for all of us. So that is why I say you have to develop your faith and through the readings of the Bible that again they're just reading it is not going to do you any good if you don't understand the whys and wherefores that it was written and that's the whole meaning behind the book of Deuteronomy it's not so much the kind of uh, silly stories in there that are silly in our uh, when we think about it in terms of our modern day living but they were <laughs> nevertheless they were there for a reason and the people were serious when they put them in there so you've got to do something about it Julie do you have all you can do is pray for them there's nothing and you've done what you can so it's not your fault. You did what you could and you continue to pray for them. And that's as far as you can go. Yeah. Now, uh, as far as tips go, I've got the same situation. Uh, and I think all of us probably know at least somebody that has the same situation going. Uh, no. You pray for those people uh, and do the best you can by giving them good example but there's no point in arguing with them. No, I don't. I change the subject yeah. when they say. Yep. You've done what you can. Yeah. Yes. that just aside a second your true faith would, would dictate 
that you treat each other and greet each other as you would greet Christ. In other words, Christ lives in all, all of us. Yes. So, having said that, you accept the Eucharist, put it in your mouth, it becomes your body. How can you deny that? That's right. So whether it whether it happens when the when the bells ring, or whether it happens when you put it in your mouth, at some point it, it becomes the body of Christ and, and blood of Christ. And you absorb that and become part of Christ Himself. So just from a strictly practical matter, it helps you helps me overcome the mystery and trying to explain it to somebody else. Well, that's very good. Uh, in other words, we have to think, what does food in general do when we consume it? It becomes part of us, does it not? In some way or other. Sometimes minuscule, sometimes way too much. But the Eucharist is the same thing. If we put that in our mouth, if we receive it with sincere understanding that this is the body of Christ, then Christ lives in us. And hopefully, we will display that and show it through our actions to everyone. Everyone. Regardless of whether it is a, a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or whatever. Even somebody you don't like. Uh, you've got to treat them with respect because they are part of God also. They are God's children. Whether they receive communion or not is not your way to make a judgment. So I think it's extremely important that you spend time <clears throat> beginning today thinking about your relationship with Christ and the effect that it has on others. One thing I also do is a frequent visit to the Blessed Sacrament. Yes. It really gives me a peace, peace of mind. And, you know. That's right. It's like visiting a long lost friend or a friend that you really enjoy being with. It's the same kind of thing. It has the same effect. Yeah, very much so. Well, a little different class today than... Yes, Dick. This one is difficult. For you or for me? No, for me to explain. Okay. As I go to communion every day, every time, it's, it's a great experience. The prayers that follow it, the theming, the aura of it. But every once in a while, it becomes supreme. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's what I was doing that day or whatever, but every now and then, it's a real moving experience that I thoroughly enjoy. Well, that's God sort of giving you an extra you know, pat on the head, so to speak. Whatever the yeah. circumstances yeah. are around it, whatever happens. Well, I, you know, I think that we can't expect euphoria every day. Right. I think that would be way too much. 
For human beings. I don't understand why it happened. Well, the Holy Spirit is, like I say, every once in a while, we're going to get one of those extra special spells. And I think all of you uh, who have a good close relationship with Christ have experienced that. Conchita, I bet you have. Yes, yes, I can just tell. Yeah. Bev? Yes, okay. I can tell. Yeah. I don't know many of you very well, so, uh, but sometimes it shows. And that's a great thing, a great feeling, and something to really treasure. Yeah. Any other questions? Yes, Conchita? Well, I totally agree. And in fact, there's a recent book out called The Crisis of Bad Preaching. I have a copy of it. I made copies of just the cover and sent it both to the bishop and the local priest. I didn't know whether I was going to be excommunicated or not, but uh, I got a little thank you note saying, your comments will be taken under consideration. <laughs> That's as far as it'll probably ever go. But uh, you're right. We don't get uh, we don't get the teaching and the sermons that really help us. Uh, we've heard God is love, God is love, God is love for a hundred years, but there's another side of the coin. And as we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, God is also perfect justice. And perfect justice is frightening without the love side of it. And so that is something that we should add to our thoughts and prayers when we're going, when we are uh, communing with God himself is understanding that God is perfect justice, meaning that there are consequences for our wrongdoing or our lack of doing. Remember, not doing something that you should have done can be wrong also. The other thing is that we don't think about is causing others to sin. And that is probably more important to think about. Do we do things or say things that cause other people to sin? That's a double sin. And you should not think of sin in itself as breaking rules. Sin is an offense against God himself. And as I said earlier, <clears throat> think about offending the person that uh, you love the most, your spouse or your children or whomever. Would, how much would you want to go, or how far would you go to offend that person before you be, think it was really serious? If you really love that person, then you wouldn't want to offend him or her at all. Then apply that 
same reasoning to your relationship with Christ. How often do you want to offend him before you think it's time to go to confession? That makes your confession almost worthless if that's the only reason you're doing it. So you should be wanting to do it out of love. All right. Well, that is something that you have to decide for yourself. If you have no intentions of changing, then your confession is worthless. Now, that doesn't mean bad habits. Bad habits are very difficult to eradicate. In going to confession, you are hoping and trying, sincerely trying, to get out of whatever habit that is. And you let the priest know that. Even though you feel that it may happen again, that doesn't make your confession void. But if you have no intentions of changing it, then your confession is worthless and a double sin. But if the person that receives, I'm not going to say but a person, let's say a child from me and my family, um, makes you see him that he goes to confession, then come out and do the same thing all over again. And it makes you think, well, why do I bother wanting to go to confession if he's not going to change? So it's like, Yes, You're, you are only, res you're right, you are only responsible for yourself. And you, you know, you can pray for that person, but if you don't have any uh, legitimate jurisdiction over that person, then there's nothing you can do about it. But pray for that individual, because that is something that's a cross that God has given you. And that's speaking of crosses. <clears throat> I've heard a lot of people say that, oh, that's just nonsense. That's just talk. Nonsense is, <laughs> is the answer also. We are all given crosses from time to time as a test of our sincerity, of our t a test of our relationship with Christ. And Christ has told us in more ways than once, and often in the Bible, uh, that in order to follow him, we have to pick up our crosses daily and follow him. All right? And that appears to be, from what you said, a cross that you have to bear daily. If you have no authority or jurisdiction over that person, all you can do is pray for him, but that should not affect your confession. Yeah. Okay.
Is that understood? Yes, Alice. Well, that's it. That's part of that's part of a parent uh, parental responsibility is to raise your children. If you believe that the Catholic Church is the true faith and the body and blood of Christ is the true blood, blood and body and blood of Christ, then you have to raise your children the same way, to think the same way that as they get older, they may reject that. But you've done as much as you can. And, but not to do it makes you part of the problem. Yes? You also have to remember that a person can go down the wrong path for years and then something happens race, whatever, they wake and go the correct way. Yep. So we can't give up. No. It's like, no. like the alcoholic says, I promise I will never take another drink and the next weekend he he can't help it. Well, but that's at some right. point yeah. a person can change. Yeah. And we gotta help them by our prayers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Any other questions? I hope that you like this form of discussion and education and so forth. Yes? It's highly recommended that we do a good confession at least once a month. Yes? That would be that would be great. But, you know... I do it once a month. Well, that's fine. It's, and it's, it's up to the individual. It's not something that anyone can dictate. It's whatever the person, but I feel <clears throat> that frequently is more important than once a year or not at all. Yeah. All right. Let's end with a prayer. Next week, we're going to go back to the, um, Book of Deuteronomy, I want to finish up because we do have some important things to say there. Chapter 25 through 28. All right. But also, bring your paper on the book of, or on the priest Ezra. Uh, Ezra um, because he was very influential uh, in bringing Judaism to its uh, knees. Right. Well, during this session. yes, during the session, there's there's copies up there in the uh, handouts for from past uh, lessons. Okay, it's a handout up there on the priest Ezra. All right, let's end with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask your blessing on our efforts. Help us to really take it seriously in our thinking, but more so in our actions. Uh, give us the strength and the courage to step out and do what we know is right, though we may be reluctant to do it. So give us the strength, the grace, and the wisdom to really be uh, one of your closest friends. So we thank you for this time together. 
We thank you and praise you in all things. In Jesus' name. Amen.